Now I am very honored to look at this text today that God has given to us. Now, this message, I'm going to talk a lot about politics, but it's not a political <laughs> message. And I'm not going to endorse a candidate. I have a right to. There's nothing in the Constitution that says I can't do it, but I'm not going to endorse a candidate. But what I'm going to talk about is how the events that happen, they repeat themselves over time. And God in his word, he's already told us that things like the things that are happening to us, they happen, and they happen fairly regularly in history. So what we want to look at is 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I want you today to pray that as we look into the, the scripture of 2 Samuel chapter 15 to begin with, we have to, to understand that this story is a complex story. This story is a story of greed. It's a story of vengeance. It's a story of uh, threat and usurpation of power. It is a story of fear. It's a story of false news. <laughs> and it's a story of scorn and ridicule. It's a story of spies and intrigue. It's a story of life. And it's a story of death. And it's a story of God's anointed sovereign, and it's a story of those who want to kill God's anointed sovereign. So we're going to read today, and I thank you for praying, because in this message, I will tell you 100%, as I stand before God Almighty with this testimony, that these are the facts that I know, and as best I know, I can say. And if I'm wrong, I'll be glad to stand corrected, and if I'm sitting down, I'll be glad to be uh, seated and corrected. It doesn't matter. So let's read from 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 10. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor or David's friend, from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom, continually increased in number. Now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants, ready to go what, uh, do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left 10 women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites. Six hundred men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. 
Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, which I love that name, by the way, Ittai the Gittite. He's one of my favorite characters. Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go? I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. So David's telling him, hey, I'm leaving, but why? You just joined up. Why in the world should you be with me? You're going to be in danger. But Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. I like that guy. I like him. So David said to Ittai, go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites, they were priests, with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar, another priest, went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer or a prophet? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Ahimoaz, your son, and Jonathan, son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. May the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts Today, I've been giggling about this message all morning. It just, it's hilarious. God is so good, and it's amazing how his word meets the situations that we face in our current day. David was a man who was anointed by God to be king. Now, that he wasn't the only one anointed by God to be king. Before him, there was a guy named Saul who was anointed by God to be king. And Saul uh, actually used David to fight uh, Goliath. Now, Saul didn't think David was going to beat Goliath, but he let him do it. I don't know why, but he did. And then David became a great hero. As you know, David defeated Goliath. And uh, remember, when Saul was rejected by God, God told the prophet Samuel, go to to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and anoint his son to be king. Well, Jesse had eight sons. And the first son looked like a good guy. So he says, you got to be it. And, and the Lord says, nope, not him. What about the second guy? Nope, 
Third, finally, the Lord said to him, you look at that, you look at the outside, God looks at the heart. And so after he went through seven sons, he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And, and he says, I got one, the youngest, he's out there watching the sheep. I said, well, go get him because we're not eating until he gets here. So they brought him and sure enough, David, little redheaded David, the teenage boy, the Lord anointed him. The Lord anointed him to be the king of Israel. Now, <laughs> the thing is, David uh, it, it fulfills a story because we know that eventually he did become king. However, he became so popular and the people loved him so much, they made up songs about him. And one of the songs went something like this, and I'm not singing it because I have no idea what the music was. But it said, Saul has killed his thousands. That's pretty good if you're a warrior king. You killed your thousands, that's good. And the second line went like this, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul was a jealous man. He couldn't stand David after that. He was jealous and paranoid. Remember, the Lord had withdrawn his approval over Saul and had switched it to David, but Saul had no idea that David was actually the newly anointed heir to the throne. So David gets kicked out of the kingdom, has to live a life of a fugitive, and he has this ragtag bunch of rejects that absolutely were in debt, bankrupt. They were people who were kicked out of the kingdom. They were people that were hated for political and personal reasons. They were absolutely a misfit bunch of motley crew. I mean, there was no question about it. And David took that ragtag bunch of nobodies and let's say maybe people who were considered deplorable and actually took these people and he made an army out of these guys and turned them into an elite fighting force. And boy, was God with them. And, and they had troubles. And Saul himself tried to kill David. And one time David had Saul dead to rights. And I mean, had him dead to rights and could have killed him. And <laughs> I want to, to, to tell you the story there by reading 1 Samuel 26, because you need to know in 1 Samuel 26, David could have killed Saul. He had him right there. And David's nephew, Abishai, said, let's kill him. <laughs> we got him. Let's kill that scoundrel. He's been after us. Let's kill him. Boy, and don't you get a little mad when things don't go your way. You wish to get rid of these people. Let's, don't, let's have done with it. So Abishai said that to David. But David said to Abishai in 1 Samuel 26, 9, and remember these words of David. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. You see, David was a man of principle. He was a man who understood that when you, when you start messing around, 
with the anointed of the Lord, even if they're a bunch of scoundrels, even if they are after you, you better let the Lord take care of such people. But remember, David was doing unto others as it should have been done to him, because remember, he was also <laughs> the Lord's anointed. And in fact, Samuel, I mean, David was correct. Saul goes to battle, and he and his son, Jonathan, and others died and got killed. And David became the king and eventually becomes king over all Israel. However, David had problems when he got to be king, as you know. And uh, he had uh, a very terrible episode where he sinned against God. And God said, I mean, God could have taken David's life right then. But God's punishment for David was to live. And he had to face the consequences. And one of the problems he was going to face is that he would be betrayed by his own family. And his own family, of course, here being Absalom. Absalom, what a specimen. He was David's favorite son. He was the most handsome prince probably who had ever been in Israel. And he was a guy who was fierce. And if you ever crossed him, you got killed. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. You wouldn't mess with him. He was tough. But Absalom was popular. He'd sit at the gates of the city and he would greet people. And he would say, hey, brother, how are you doing? And, and, and the people said, that's, that's Prince Absalom. And, and they would bow down in front of him. And he'd say, get up, get up, come here. And he'd put his arm around him and say, why are you here in town? And they'd say, I come, I've come to see the king. I've got a, a court case I want him to settle against my neighbor. My neighbor's done me wrong here. And it didn't matter what the case was. Absalom said, you know what? I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. You are right. You are exactly right. Whatever you say, you are right. And if I were king, you'd get exactly what you want. And I mean, people love that. <laughs> they love it when you tell them they can have everything they want. They, that, that goes over well. That's a time-honored political tradition. <laughs> Trust me. So Absalom, the day comes. He takes over. Word gets to David. David is scared. David is upset, and he says, we got to get out of here or there's going to be bloodshed. We've got to move our, our operation out of the city now. And, uh, and so they move out of the city. And as they go along, of course, they are mourning, and they are sad, and David is upset. But he tells the priest, stay in the city. Put, the, put everything back. We're not going to disorder the honor and the worship of God. We're going to keep that there. And then he tells Ittai to get tight to go back, but Ittai stays with him. Uh, but he then hears word of one of the worst things to happen. He finds out that his number one counselor, Ahithophel, has joined Absalom. And that that's a devastating blow. That's like the insider has gone against you. Your own counselor. Hmm. That's never happened in the current government, has it? <clears throat> but what's interesting is that David prays this prayer. And I, I take you back to the prayer he prays in chapter 15, verse 31. So someone told David, saying, Ahithophel's among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, 
I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, folks, I've lived on this earth almost 54 years. And I think in 2016, I absolutely prayed that prayer. I said, Lord, turn the advice of Ahithophel to foolishness. In other words, the smart people who are wanting to stand against God, the smart people who are trying to raise up against God's anointed, Lord, I want you to turn the advice of those people to foolishness so that they think they're doing the right thing, but they're really going to do the wrong thing. I believe God answered my prayer. Thank you, Jesus. But I didn't stop praying that. I prayed that this year too. Now, <laughs> we live in trying times, no doubt about it. And we live in a situation where in America, we don't have a king. We don't. There's no king. The president's our servant. He's not our master. Uh, it was George Washington who said that, uh, that government is a troublesome servant, but it is a miserable master. Do you hear what George Washington said about government? That's so true. It's a troublesome servant, but it's a worse master, okay? So in America, something strange happened when we got our independence and we wrote the letter to, to God, not just the king, but the, our Declaration of Independence included a prayer to God, and it said, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Our founding fathers, in writing in 1776, appealed to the judge, supreme judge of the world, for their lives and everything else. They said, we've done this, but we're going to go to God, and if we're right, we're going to make it. If we're not, we're not going to make it. So, we have that on record. All these people who are trying to take God out of our country, they, they are blind and willfully so. Fools is what they are, and they will be found out as such. So we're in a situation where God said, okay, in America, after they tried the Articles of Confederation, they said they're going to create the Constitution. And at the very first line in massive letters, they said, we, the government... We the Republicans, <laughs> we the Democrats, we the Federalists, we the Anti-Federalists. Nope, didn't say any of that. We the rich, <laughs> we the poor, we the downhearted. No, it said we the people of the United States, which etched into our history that we are a nation anointed by God where the people are the sovereign. So I want to ask you a question. David said that he, even if the, the, the people out here are so bad, he said, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. But David was God's anointed too. And guess who was raising his hand against David? His own son. And a lot of other people too. And David said, well, they might get me, and that might be God's will, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe we live in times where there are people in our country that have absolutely attacked 
the sovereignty of the American people. The integrity of the election process is by far the most questionable I have ever seen in my life. I have never seen the type of crookedness and the appearance of evil in my life. It's been going on in a lot of these cities for a long time, but we just kind of left it and let it go. But this year, it's across multiple states, and suspiciously, it's only in certain cities where the votes can get to overturn the elect of the people. More people actually voted one way, but suddenly they stopped voting. They stopped counting in the middle of the night, and then they went in. And they came in and suddenly found lots of things. Amazing how that happens. Now, uh, uh, the thing is, I wonder how many of you know Benford's Law. Can you raise your hand right now if you can express the law of statistics known as Benford's Law? Anybody know that law? Oh, man, Benford's Law. Joy. <laughs> so Benford's Law. Okay, so if you take a random set of numbers, just in the world. You go out here and find, take a random set of numbers. God loves numbers. You know, do you know God is a mathematician? <laughs> he is a mathematician and he loves numbers. And, and, and he creates these laws of numbers that confound the fools and scientists who say there's no God. But there's this law, Benton's law, uh, Benford's law. It says if you get a random set of numbers and you just, you add them all together, out of any giant group of numbers, how many percentages would, do you think would have the number one at the, as the first digit? How many would have the number two? How many would have the number three? And you would say, well, they would have equal because in a random expression of nature, you say, if I take the population of all the states or of all the countries of the world, those the first number is going to be an equal number of ones, equal number of twos, equal number of threes, because it's random, right? No. <laughs> Did you know that it always hovers around 30% of all random numbers start with a one? Did you know that? In nature. Now, I had to think about this and had to test this myself. So I went and I said, well, let's take the population of the United States. I did, and I think I got like 13 out of the 50 states start with a one, more than any other number. Hmm, that's interesting for the population. So then I did it on the number of cars in, uh, registered in each state. And once again, I think I got like 17 out of 50, which is hovering around that 30% mark. And then I said, well, let's take the population of the cities in Vermont. And out of 45 that I checked, uh, uh, I think there were like 11 or 10 or something like that. Uh, no, there were about 13 of those that out of the 45, 13 were started with a one. And uh, it just kept, keeps going and going. So you got this crazy statistic. And the way it works on a graph is this. So you have number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, at through nine, all the way. And then you have the graph starts out at 30% for number one. It goes down a little for number two. And it just keeps going down like a giant slide. And this happens almost universally. It doesn't apply when you have a minimum and a maximum number, like your height or something like that. It doesn't work like that. It only works in random numbers in overall populations and things. So when they did some statistics, 
this past week. You know what they discovered? They said, well, the libertarian candidates and the other lower level candidates, they all fit this pattern. You know, they fit this pattern. They, they, that, that, was, that was really, it worked. And, uh, and Donald J. Trump, they found out, yep, it fits that pattern. The numbers of these totals and where the people were voting, et cetera, et cetera, all fit that pattern. But for the one who was declared president-elect, mm, it didn't quite look like that. It was like up, down, up, up, down. I mean, it was all over the place. Now, if you don't know about Benford's Law, did you know that people often use Benford's Law to discover fraud? And they often catch criminals this way, where they go into a bank and they say, you know you've been cooking the books whenever they don't meet Benford's Law. They've been cooking the books because they just, they don't, it's not random enough. They don't understand that numbers have meaning. And these type of things are going on constantly. Now, what about poor old David? He was kicked out. He, things are going bad. And it looks like it isn't going to work for him. And it looks like everything's going wrong. And some of you may have felt this week. And I've said some words that I will not quote and I will not say. But I will tell you that I know what day, I kind of feel for David here, because if your own son has betrayed you and you're running for your life, that's not a good thing. And David said, you might lose. And that's true, we might lose. But I got good news for you, that all through the Bible, there's a common story. And that common story is this. God, there's a birth of a vision. God tells you something good's gonna happen to you. But then he always, and I don't like this part, there's a death of a vision. He takes it away. He absolutely disappoints you. And then there is, glory, hallelujah, the resurrection of the vision. Now, I can give you only about five examples. <laughs> Abraham, you're going to be blessing the world through your son, your seed. You're going to bless the world. And then, and all the world's going to be blessed through you, Abraham. That's awesome. Then years go by, he still doesn't have a son, and his, his wife's too old to have kids. I guess it's over. Going to have to find other means, and he tried. But God said, no, no, you're still going to do it. And so then after his vision died, God gave him a son named Isaac. But, but then <laughs> after he got Isaac, God said, take Isaac, your only son, and take him to a mountain in Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, my God. Not again. He's got to lose him again. But then, as he got ready to kill his son, the Lord said, stop. I know, Abraham, that you are faithful. And he provided a ram, and he was able to be uh, provided. Jacob, you know, when he was born, the Lord revealed to Rebekah, his mother, that there were twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. But God said to Rebekah, the older is going to serve the younger. And guess who was the mama's boy and the favorite son? Jacob. And Jacob was taken care of by Rebekah, and he hung around his mother more than he did his father. Esau hung around Isaac. So here is Jacob, and I'm sure, now I don't know this, but I'm absolutely convinced that Rebekah told Jacob, little Jacob, hey, you know, your brother's older, but you're the number one son. You're going to have the power. Don't you think that, that, that if you had a favorite son, you'd be telling what the Lord told you? So, so I think Jacob has always thought, I'm going to be number one someday. I'm going to be number one. And so whenever it came time for him to deceive his father to get the blessing, he got the blessing. And then what happened? He got kicked out. 
And for 20 something years or so, he was away from his family, living in fear from his brother and having troubles that I know I wouldn't wish on most of my enemies. I might wish him on some, <laughs> but I don't think I would wish it on most of my enemies. I mean, Jacob had it rough. And then, of course, eventually at the end of his life, he ended up happier than perhaps anybody could be because the Lord was with him. What about his son, Joseph, the favorite son? God gave Joseph a vision. You're going to rule over your brothers. You're going to rule over others. And he told his brothers, and they didn't like it. And they ended up selling him as a slave. So he had a birth of a vision. I'm going to be a ruler, even though I'm a youngest son almost. He was almost the youngest son. And then they sold him. He became a slave. That's a disappointment. But he stayed faithful. He got sold to the house of Potiphar. And as a slave, he became so good at his job that he he got the trust of the owner of that plantation. And he became the head of the entire plantation. And he became so uh, rich and respectable as a servant that things were going well and he could have lived his life that way. But then he got accused of a bad sin that he didn't, a crime that he didn't commit. And he got put in jail. Once again, disappointment. And eventually, though, he ends up being the most powerful man in the world because one day the king has a dream he can't figure out. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, yeah, there was a guy in jail. I knew, yeah. And, and he ends up being the leader of, the, of the, the most powerful country on earth. David was anointed by God to be the king. And then he went through years of difficulties, difficulties before he ever got to be king. And then he became king. You see, what I'm saying to you is that there's all kinds of these disappointments in our lives. And in our study of the Bible, we've learned that Jesus repeatedly told the disciples, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take the Son of Man and they're going to kill him. And on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. He warned them. He said it's going to happen. But they didn't really get it. And sure enough, when it happened, they scattered. How would you have felt if you were a disciple of Jesus and your Lord has been killed and now they're after you? You would feel sick. You would feel far worse than we feel this week, maybe. I guarantee you, I think so. And yet, thank God, Jesus did not stay dead. He raised up. You see, there's always the birth of a vision, the death of a vision, and there is the resurrection of a vision in everyone's life. And we need to accept that. And when we go through the bad times, we need to know that God is great. Now, the story is not over, and we're going to finish with the story. We've got to find out what happens next. So in verse number 32, now it happened when David, and now I'm in chapter 15. It happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. There was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons. 
Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall hear, send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So David sends Hushai, the archite, into the city to be a spy for him. He's also got help from the priests. So he's preparing for it. He's preparing for it. He knows his life is threatened, but he's, he's not going to just let, do nothing about it. He's preparing ahead of time for it. Now remember that. He's preparing for it. So what happens is Absalom gets control of the city, and then David starts um, continuing his effort to get away. Now I want you to look at verse 5 of chapter 16, because it gets worse for David. In chapter 16, verse 5, Now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. He threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Sounds like the news media. Sure does. Verse 9, then Abishai, that's David's nephew, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. <laughs> Abishai was a man of action. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. You see, David said, leave him alone. Let him do it. Maybe God's put him up to it. See, David was completely resigned to God's will. He was completely resigned because he trusted God. He says, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Hmm, very good action. You know, the current president has now been a friend of the news. In fact, he gave a nice little nickname. They called it fake news. That's what he said all the time, fake news. They hate him. There's no question. They hate him. Uh, they're sort of like Shimei here. But as David and his men in verse 13 went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up the dust. Raised a big commotion. Boy, there's a lot of that going on today. And now the king and all the people with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. All right, well, what happens next? Well, here's what happens next. Uh, Absalom, he ends up accepting Hushai as an advisor. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And, and, and of course, Hushai says, I'm basically going to support you in verse 18 and 19. And then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. So here we got two advices. 
Absalom asked his advisor, Ahithophel. David said, turn the advice of Ahithophel to foolishness. So Ahithophel tells Absalom to do two things. One is he tells them to go and uh, pitch a tent for himself and take those women who were working for David and take them and to do bad things with them in the sight of all of Israel. That's all I can say about it. And then uh, the second thing in chapter 17, he says for Absalom to do, Ithbel said to Absalom, now let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid and all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you and when all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. Now that's actually good news. I mean, that's actually good advice because Ahithophel said, hey, if you go after David now, we can get it. He's weak, he, he's, he's, he doesn't have what it takes and we can just kill him and it'll be over. But then Absalom asked for Hushai the archite. He says in verse five of chapter 17, now call Hushai the archite also and let us hear what he says too. And then Hushai came to Absalom. Absalom spoke to him, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you shall know your father. I'm chapter 17, verse eight. You, you know your father and his men. They are mighty men. And they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even if he is who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that... Those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Bathsheba like the sand that is by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So he basically says, to make this long story short, wait, build your army up, and then crush him. The men said, that's better advice. Absalom liked that advice better. Hithophel realized his advice was not taken. You know what Hithophel does? He goes home, gets his affairs in order, and he hangs himself because he realized it's over. And guess what? It was because that was bad advice. And Absalom ended up losing, and David ended up winning. And God brought David back as king. And that guy, the Shemai guy, who cursed, threw rocks, threw dust in the air, screamed and hollered, he didn't do that when he came, when, when David won. He bowed down. Hey, uh, I didn't really mean it. <laughs> I didn't really mean it. So I'm going to finish with this. We live in weird times. The current occupant of the White House had been saying for a long time, he said, they're going to try to cheat. Now, I don't know. I've lived a lot, long time. I even ran for office one time. And... I can say that if any other politician had been accused of some of the things that the current president had been accused of, he would have been, his career would have been over a long time ago. No way. But he keeps coming back. He keeps surviving. They underestimate him. And so I think, would he not do like David? Go in and prepare? Because he said that maybe somebody might cheat. 
So if he thinks that they're going to cheat, don't you think they might be looking for it? And would he arrest everybody before it happened, or would he wait for the crime to happen so that the whole world can see, hmm, we got a crime, a lot of them going on. You see, I think that the current president is not letting this happen because he has no choice. I think he's actually choosing to do this. I think what we see today is a media of Shemites who all say the same thing. And they want us to be under their control, to listen to them. But we need to turn the advice of the media to foolishness. And we need to pray to God and trust God. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if it is true that hundreds of thousands or millions of votes in this country were fake, they are attacking the sovereignty of the people of America. They have raised their hands against God's anointed. And guess what? God's going to deal with them severely. And I believe that we, as a people, if it can be proven that this went on, I believe we will rise up. But there's no guarantee. David could have got killed. There's no guarantee. But God was merciful. We need to pray that God will be merciful so that the American people will have free and fair elections where everybody can say, that is right. Because if it isn't, nobody's going to be happy. And it's going to be a very bad time. And I pray that God will give us grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all that you do for us. And I pray for your wisdom and power to assist us in our own days. Many people are upset. Many people are going to be upset with the events that are going to happen in the next several weeks. But I ask for your almighty guidance so that we would see that justice and truth will prevail and that your mercy will extend upon us and that those who are usurping power, if they are, that they would be found out and that they would be stopped and that the advice of a hit to fail will be turned to foolishness and that the whole world will see that you have not thrown away your anointed sovereigns of this land, the people of the United States. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.